Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's been a long few years for my guest on this week's show, but she made it through and learned something very important about herself in the process. Oh my God, you guys, we made it. We're survivors. We survived a global pandemic, and now we're going to pretend it's not happening anymore. And I am down with that. What an exciting time to be alive. Right? I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, you guys. But after the last two and a half, three years of watching everybody stuck inside their houses with their spouses (laughs) and babies, I have never been more confident in my life decision-making skills. remaining childless and alone. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Chelsea Handler talking about her decision not to have children from her latest Netflix special, Revolution. Chelsea was previously on this podcast all the way back in the summer of 2020, and so much has happened in her life and career since then. Revolution is actually the second stand-up special she has released since we last talked, following Evolution, which premiered on HBO Max that fall. This past summer, Chelsea ended up filling in for Jimmy Kimmel right as Roe v. Wade was overturned, making her very briefly the only female late-night host at a particularly fraught moment for women in America. She somehow managed to make it hilarious. And now, in a few weeks, she will be among the many guest hosts on The Daily Show following Trevor Noah's departure from that chair last month. All of this has made Chelsea start thinking about an official return to late-night television, as she tells me in this conversation. It is always great to catch up with her, and I'm so glad she was able to come back for our first new episode of 2023. Here's me with Chelsea Handler. I see you're already up in the snow. That's nice. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. I'm about to hit the slopes as soon as I'm done today. I can't <laughs> right. wait. How many more do you have today? Uh, I think you're the last one. Okay, good. So I'll, uh, I'll get you on the, on the slopes as soon as we can. No rush. No rush. Don't worry. I'm here. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Congrats on surviving 2022, wrapping up your vaccinated and horny tour. And not um, getting COVID. Yeah, there you go. I should stop saying that because you know I'm going to get it out. Yeah. (laughs) You're jinxing yourself. Um, And now you have this uh, new special coming out, Revolution, which I got to see and and really loved. Um, And by the time people are hearing this, they'll get to have seen it as well. so yeah, uh, how are you feeling? What's what's? Do you feel like you've? It's been a. It's been quite a year. It has. It's been a revolution. It's one full <laughs> revolution of a year. You know, it probably covers my special. Probably covers more than one year. More like two years. 
But um, I feel good. I'm really excited for people to see this. I'm excited that it's on Netflix. I feel like it's my best work and that I'm just getting really good at my craft. You know, I feel really good about where I am and grounded and feel focused in a way that I haven't been in so long and focused with the clarity of mind, you know, that comes with experience and comes with a lot of ups and downs. So all in all, I just feel like uh, I've really come into my own in the last couple of years because of a result of so many different things. Yeah, I feel like you've never lacked confidence on stage, but there is something about your just attitude on this special where you almost feel feels like you might be more comfortable or just more in what you're saying and, and sort of you mean what you're saying in a way that that is different. Do you do you feel that? Yeah, I feel like I'm in my flow state. You know, when people talk about your flow state and for a long time, I didn't understand what that meant, but I had it subconsciously in spurts when I was younger. I would be in a flow state without knowing it because I, I wasn't self-aware enough or, you know, really conscious about all of it. And then as you go through a longer career, you know, now that I'm in my 40s and I've been doing this for like, I don't know how many years, 20 probably, um, longer. And you uh, experience, you know, the kind of, you experience confidence, you experience lacks of confidence, bouts of lacks of confidence, and then self-consciousness, and then wondering if anyone gives a shit about you. And, <laughs> and that, you know, you go through all of these cyclical things that one does when you're in the public eye, what, you know, determining what your value is, determining if anyone else sees that value, then coming around to the fact that you have to see your value in order for anyone else to see it. So those are all powerful lessons that come. And I think they add, if you, I like to have a really high level of integrity in everything I do now. And I feel like it shows. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you were on this podcast almost about two and a half years ago, um, right? Sort of when the pandemic was starting. Um, and I feel like uh, even then, were you already starting to think about um, your decision to not have children and how that was kind of uh, playing out in the pandemic? Because that's what you opened the special with. And it seems like something you've put a lot of thought into. But it's important to know when you don't have the skills to raise a baby, you know? Instead of shaming people, we should say, oh, good. Good for you for knowing that you shouldn't have a baby. We should get a carbon credit for not polluting to mass population. I know I don't have the skills to raise a baby. I have rescued nine dogs in my life. Thank you. I've returned four. Well, no, I haven't put a lot of thought into it. Actually, I put a lot of, because it's just never been a thing for me. Like I've never had to contemplate, do I want to have a baby or do I not? I've never wanted to. It just always seemed like a huge pain in the ass. Every time I see any couple at the airport or with a stroller, I just oh my think, God. ugh. Like Tell they could be it. happy walking down the street with a stroller and I have to be, I'm like, oh my God, can you believe they have to carry that stroller with them everywhere they go <laughs> and then carry out like supplies for their child and I, I, all of it has just always been a turnoff to me. So it's never been a decision to put a lot of thought about, uh, thought into, you know, deciding what, what I have come to understand is the, all the great things that can come in your life when you do make that decision. And, 
And there's not enough people espousing that. There's not enough people talking about how great it is to be single and to be childless. <laughs> like these are huge advantages in life. If you if you want to live a full life and travel the world and see things like, you know, there's a lot of good that comes from it. And not just in a selfish sense, in a way that you can give back more when you don't have your own family to worry about. I don't have to worry about getting my daughter into some stupid school and paying $60,000 <laughs> $60, for a nursery school. You know what I mean? I can help other people go to school. And I can contribute into societally in ways that maybe I wouldn't have if I had my own family and I was consumed with them. So I really feel like, and now we're in a place where obviously more and more women are understanding that this is not your duty. You do not have to procreate. You do not have to pollute to mass population. Instead, you could choose a different life and you can have it all and be happy. And like, I'm a living proof of that. Yeah. I love the bit that you have about people who are ambivalent about having children doing it. And, you know, I think you say something like, uh, you know, get an abortion while you still can. I'm not against people having children. If you're passionate about wanting a baby, I get it. I want to support you. But it's when you're on the fence and you have a baby, when you're in your 40s, like many of my girlfriends who accidentally get pregnant, they're like, Whoa, I guess I'll have a baby. It's like, hey, bitch, get an abortion while you still can, okay? <laughs> by being on the fence about becoming a parent. The reason I don't have a baby is because I know that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be that great at it. I mean, and I don't care if anyone thinks I would be. That's irrelevant. And if you're not 150% on board with being a mother or a parent, then you shouldn't be doing it. Because it's there's too many traumatized people out there that didn't get loved enough or that got abused and all of this stuff. And so like, you know, people don't like uh, have a baby. No, don't have a baby. Think about having a baby and think about how much you want that baby. And if you want that baby more than anything in your life, then you get to have that baby. Yes. Yes. Um, you also have this incredibly cathartic bit, uh, towards the end of the special about your frustrations with straight white men who are acting like victims. Um, and I just, I love that whole section. And I did it, it that to me felt like something that you, that you had put thought into that you really did feel like it was something that you had been wanting to say, um, in that way. Is that, is that true? Is that something that you felt like you really needed to get out there in a way? Yeah. I mean, I want to help men. You know what I mean? Like I'm not a man hater. I love men. I want men to be better. I want to be better. I want to have an edification, you know, in my life. Like I'm constantly looking for ways to edify. And I feel like if you're here and you're an evolved person, aren't you trying to do the same thing? Aren't you trying to get better at being a person, not getting stuck where you are? And while we have all these new learnings and everyone understands about the discrimination against marginalized communities, about what has happened to women, you know, from the beginning of time, it's it's not men's fault. It's but it's we're now in, a, in like in a place where we can course correct. So why is there such an argument about that? Why is there such a resistance to equality and respect? Like all anybody's asking right now is to not be sexist and not be racist. That's not a tall order. So what is everyone complaining about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I say been... everyone, I don't mean everyone. I mean, there's a, a section of white men that can't understand what the problem is. And no matter how many times it's been slowly man or woman explained to them, <laughs> they seem to think that it's, we're hysterical. And it's like, you'd be hysterical too, if nobody could listen to you and say, wow, God, thanks for telling us that we're such assholes. We'll do better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you've been talking a lot about this in the, the way that it's not so hard to not be racist and not be sexist and not be homophobic and all these things that that uh, many male comics have been complaining about. Um, 
And that does seem like it is something that that frustrates you because you've been able to do that, um, and you know, especially in recent years. Um, and why do you think that is that that you don't find that difficult, but other people do? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I like being told that there are parameters or like, okay, you're not allowed to hurt people's feelings anymore. Okay. I mean, hello, I did that all the time. I mean, I, I'm as guilty of it as any man, but I, I heard people when they said, stop it. I heard what you said and I, I'm like, oh, wow. And I took a look at myself and I, and I, and I learned as much as I could and I read as much as I could. And yeah, I bang on about it because it's something worth banging on about. You know, we're not all given the same lot in life. It doesn't matter. You know, you could, you're born in a certain place and all of a sudden that defines your existence. That's not right or fair. And to not understand, like, you know, to not understand the nuance of it all, to not understand what women have had to endure at the hands of men and not to say that, that that's your fault. Like you're not incriminating yourself by admitting that there's a problem by admitting there's a problem. You're realizing that there's a need for a solution. And, you know, guys are just so can be like, Oh God, you know, enough already, enough already. You know, like I say in my special, we just won the rights to do what we want with our bodies 50 years ago, and that is still trying to be taken away from us today. So we're not hysterical, and you should be standing up fighting with us, not against us. Yeah, I mean, I think the even your, the titles of your specials, Evolution, Now Revolution, speak to that willingness to change, willingness to evolve um, and listen and, and learn from people. And that was true even in your you know specials that you were doing on the documentary specials you were doing on Netflix was a lot about listening and, and talking to people. And there does seem to be this resistance to that from people who say, you know, look, I haven't changed. The rest of the world has changed. And that's their defense. Like someone like Bill Maher or something says that, you know, he hasn't changed, but he is not considered liberal anymore because liberals have changed. It's not me who's changed. It's the left who is now made up of a small contingent who've gone mental and a large contingent who refused to call them out for it. But I will. That's why I'm a hero at Fox these days. <laughs> Which shows just how much liberals have their head up their ass, because if they really thought about it, they would have made me a hero on their media. Seems like Bill Namar needs to change. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. It's like, there's value in he's he's seeing value in staying the same, but really there might be more value in changing and evolving. Yeah, I think the uh, you know the resistance to change is like the a number one mistake in life. Like things are moving in a direction that you cannot control. So get on board and understand it. Don't say no, because then you're going to get left behind. You know, I have an allergic reaction to that kind of behavior. Coming up, Chelsea talks about stepping into Jimmy Kimmel's shoes at the exact moment reproductive rights were being stripped from women all across the country. And later, she weighs in on the rise of anti-Semitism from Kanye West and, yes, Dave Chappelle. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our previous episode with Chelsea Handler, as well as conversations with some of the other comedians who will be filling in on The Daily Show in the coming weeks, like Sarah Silverman, Hassan Minhaj, Roy Wood Jr., and more, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Chelsea Handler. So speaking of of white men and uh, and and Bill Maher, let's talk about late night TV um, because I've really been fascinated by your return to late night TV in these different ways and really um, eagerness to get back to it. Uh, you guest hosted Jimmy Kimmel Live over the summer, and I thought you were fantastic. I thought you just it was so obvious why that you should be there and that you belonged in that space. Thank you. Um, and the timing of it was particularly crazy because it was the week just happened to be that you were there the week that Roe v. Wade was overturned. Um, so you got the opportunity to speak about it on that big platform in a way that none of the male hosts doing those nightly shows ever could have. Welcome to Jimmy Kimmel Live, everybody. I am your guest host, Chelsea Handler. I will be here all week long, or at least until Republicans make it illegal for women to talk. Jimmy is off right now doing whatever the f- he wants with his body. <laughs> Remember like five days ago when Fox News told us the biggest threat facing America was drag queens? That was cute. <laughs> At this point, I'd probably have more rights if my vagina was an AR-15. So can you talk about what that was like to go in there at that time, um, what the process was of, of putting that together um, and, and deciding how you wanted to talk about that in that moment? Um, well, he has a great staff of writers who were obviously integral in creating that. But yeah, I went in there letting them know that I wanted to go in guns blazing and and that let's get go, let's go. Like we're going off on all of these people. We have foreign monologues, and this is what I want to say. And they, you know, formulated it for me, and we worked great together. It was like walking into a perfectly run operation. You know, having an A team and then having an A me, like being me being on my my A game together. It was just great. Every aspect of it. I loved it. It rem- made me remember what I, why I do that, why I want to do it again. It instilled that back in me. It sparked that again. I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be taking the news and regurgitating it out for everybody on a regular basis. That's what I'm good for, you know, like that's what I'm good at. And so it was great for that purpose. So as soon as Trevor, you know, uh, they were saying, you know, a guest host or wanting to be a guest host, I was like, yeah, let's go. I'll go do that too. And that's a perfect job for me. You know, that's a great gig. So I want to go do that and see how that feels. And it's going to feel awesome because I'm going to crush it because I love (laughs) this 
stuff. You know what I mean? I love the news. I love pop culture. I love combining it all with smart personalities, bringing on comedians like I did on Chelsea lately, that round table aspect where you can have voices more than a singular voice, more than one man speaking on behalf of women. You know, all these late night <laughs> hosts are great, but they're not representing us. Women represent women. And, you know, and all like, I would love, I would love that kind of vibe of a show again, you know, having a bunch of com comedians on talking about the news every day in, in a more elevated way than Chelsea lately was like, you know, in a different iteration uh, so that we could have more of a broad spectrum of topics, which the daily shows platform provides, you know, I feel like the daily show is another platform. That's an a plus. And then, you know, you bring a talent to it and then combined it. It's like, Oh, that's, you know, a no brainer. So I'm very much looking forward to my time there. Yeah. Um, I mean, going just back to the Kimmel thing for a second, it was, uh, also significant that you came on that. I believe it was the week after Samantha B had her last, what ended up being her last show, even though we didn't know it was her last show at the time, um, before she got canceled, um, her show got canceled. And so then it really was it, that, that kind of played into it as well. Cause she, she wasn't around to talk about this and there aren't really enough women around to, to talk about that. So how did you, how did you think about that as well? Well, I mean, I, I'm just so annoyed that Samantha B's show was canceled. Like a lot of these shows don't do well anymore. And why aren't they canceled? Why would she, why, who cares if the show is not rating what you think we need the representation. It's about more than that. You know, like I understand like linear television isn't what it used to be. And we're all moving into this different world. But in the meantime, every head of every network should be asking themselves why they don't have a woman helming a talk show. And by the way, I'm speaking from experience on all of this as someone who had three abortions in high school. And if that sounds too extreme, let's pretend I had two. <laughs> because here's the thing, this planet is a much safer place without me polluting it with my children. I'm responsible enough to know that we don't need any more pothead, molly-loving alcoholics running around topless. I get that. <laughs> right, Guillermo? Right, Chelsea, I agree with you, yes. You obviously, the last one you had was on Netflix, which was kind of its own thing and challenge to be on that platform. And I think there's been a lot of these streaming late night, in quotes, shows that haven't quite worked out. Um, you know, Hassan Minhaj ran for a while, but then his show went away. Um, and, you know, Sarah Silverman on Hulu, um, a lot of people, uh, Michelle Wolf on Netflix as well. Have you thought much about why that your either your show didn't last on that platform or why the uh, late night style shows aren't really working on, on streaming? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, what is happening on a bigger level is like all of these streamer platforms are basically amalgamating now. And now we're going to have, we're going back to the basic, like big three, right. Or four networks. And then there's going to be advertising and uh, advertising on all these networks. So I don't know what the fuck just happened, but we just basically went <laughs> in one big circle to get back to where we already started because Netflix decided on a model that everybody else wanted to copy and then realized, Oh wait, how do we monetize this once we have all of our subscribers? So, uh, I think, you know, I think there's going to be always a spot for late night. I do feel like it's flat and stale right now. Like it's not where it needs to be. It needs to, there needs to be a new burst of energy and there needs to be a new iteration of a talk show. We are living in a different world is being interview interviewing celebrities day in, day out is not 
as fascinating as fascinating as it once was. You know, we know about everybody because we can follow them on Instagram. So it's not there's no intrigue. Uh, so that aside, you know, what are the most powerful aspects of a television show like that? You know, a monologue, a personality, a point of view, comedians, laughter. Funny, 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 funny. Not awkward interviews for the sake of filling in a slot for a celebrity guest who's already been on five shows talking about whatever. You know, it's a not like we just need new blood and we need new like uh, energy, and that's it. And and it's you know, it just takes a couple of different turns and to show people, okay, you could just screw with the you know the platform or the sorry, what's the word I'm thinking of? The just the format or the, the format, yeah, a little bit more. It's it's just so stale. Like let's. Let's just shake it up a little. And it's not, it's not brain surgery, even though I could perform brain surgery because I consider myself to be a farm to table gynecologist. <laughs> so how will that, how will that apply to when you guest host the daily show? I mean, are there, have you already started thinking about what you want to do there and how you might even get to kind of mix up the format? Um, yeah. Stepping yeah in for I've a week? already been talking to uh, the EP over there, Jen, and yeah, we're, we've been communicating about what I'd love to try and what I'd love to do. And, and, you know, I have a week there and, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm definitely going to try some stuff. I'm going to go have fun and bring it. Yeah. And it seems like you haven't been shy about, you know, that you would want the gig on a permanent basis if it was offered to you. Yeah. We're, I mean, we can, we're definitely going to have conversations about that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the last time when, when John Stewart stepped out, I remember there were all these people who was like, they were going after Amy Schuber and Chris Rock and all these people who, who didn't want it maybe because they felt like it was too limiting or it, it was going to tie them down. Like they wouldn't be able to tour. And maybe that's even why Trevor Noah ended up leaving is because he felt like it was, it was limiting in some way, but you, you don't feel that way. Well, I think it's like, you know, it's, listen, it's a seven year job. It's a seven year itch. I quit Chelsea lately after seven years Trevor quit after seven years. I'm pretty sure James Corden has done seven or close to yeah, that. I think just about, yeah. It's like you, it's seven years. When you go hard like that, that's, you know, that's how long that job is. If you handle it the right way. When I did Chelsea lately, I was on tour every year. I wrote a book, four books within that seven year time, followed by book tours. So I burnt the candle at both ends. Like I'm not doing that again. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not doing all of that again. I know how to now regulate and, and get the best out of myself. Yeah, so focus on something. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a going into something with the right intention and, and, and I have to want it. I want it. You know what I mean? I want to work again. So that by in and of itself will work because of my attitude. Yeah. You've kind of at the same time resisted the idea of, of going after that James Corden uh, show. Is that just because of the, the format that it's kind of tied to or it's just, that's, no. Yeah. I mean, that's not, that's like on a 12, 30. It's no, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, that's it, in a way it's those networks. It's that, that's where it's been the hardest for a woman to break into is those network, those four or five network shows. Um, so I, I wonder, you know, yeah, what right. Comedy Central. You're right. Daily show. We're talking about Comedy Central. So there, there you go. That's another, you know, that just seems like a brand, a really strong brand. And, um, and so that's why I am attracted to that. You know, the James Corden shows, that was the James Corden. Like, I don't, I don't care about that. Or I'll reboot Chelsea later. You know, we've been talking about this for a while too. And it's about refining the right platform and the timing of the platforms. Cause like what we, I was saying earlier, this kind of circular motion of all these platforms turning into regular networks again. Like, I do think that will change the landscape of people tuning in for late night television and we need to give them a different array of late night television. So with that idea about Chelsea later, which you've called it, um, is that what, what would the 
what would how would it be different? Do you think than the original Chelsea lately? We would just be talking about you know politics and so and so like pop culture and all of the stuff you know what's happening in the news, global issues, what's happening in China. You know, like funny commentary with all of the young, all of the old comics that I had on Chelsea lately that are all fucking huge stars now. Well, not you know a lot of them are Lonnie Love and Joe Coy and and uh, Tiffany Haddish and Fortune Fortune Feimster. Yeah, I mean a lot of people were on that show for the very first time. You know, like Kevin Hart, like all of these people were on that round table. So, I mean, that with the, up, the, the new young generation of comics that are out there that I've had the pleasure of getting to know, like a ton of them, um, like the Rosebud Bakers, Otsuko Okotskas. We just had her on. She's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, she's the best. Mateo Lane. And uh, I have a whole, I mean, I, yeah. So I, I think I'll try that out. Well, I'm, I'm going to, my intention is to try that out um, on The Daily Show uh, just to, to, you know, fidget with that format again and see how people like it and see how I like it. Yeah. Um, I also read that you were interested in, in doing a, a scripted show based on your book um, that sort of semi Curb Your Enthusiasm inspired. Is that something that's actually in the works or, or do you yeah, think you might be able to make it? Yeah, we just finished a script. Well, well, we just finished a script, so we'll see what happens with it. Yes. Uh, it's a script based on my last book. It's, and it's all about me going to therapy and, you know, taking two <laughs> steps forward and then about 18 steps back each day. Yeah. What appeals to you about that um, as opposed to doing a talk show? I think I'm, I mean, they both, listen, I like, you know, to do a bunch of different things. I like books. I like stand up. I like hosting. I like all the stuff I get to do. I'm hosting the Critics Choice Awards uh, in January. So I have that coming up too. Uh um, and I don't know, I like to keep my brain active in that way. I like to have different skill sets and figure out what the best, you know, like what I can have the most fun with. I do miss being in a writer's room with all my writers laughing our asses off all day. I do miss that. And the kind of moments I get now when I have to host these award shows or do these and I, and I get that vibe again, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what I love. Um, going back to your special for a minute, um, you know, you, you talk about, you know, all these things about the straight white men and what you've, and your frustrations with them. And then at the very end of the special, you put up the words, uh, I still believe in love. And I know now more than ever that my person is coming. And I was just curious why you, why you decided to end the special like that, why you wanted to include that. Well, because, you know, there's a whole, the whole ending is about my ex-boyfriend, Joe Coy, and uh, we're not together anymore. So I didn't want, I wanted everyone to know that like, just because that relationship didn't work out, he still did redeem my faith in men. I still do believe in love. And now I'm more open-hearted and minded than I ever was. And like, that's a powerful message for everybody out there. Because when I got together with Joe, there were so many people that would come up to us and they're like, oh my God, we believe in love. Like if you fell in love, we can <laughs> fall in love. And it was so inspiring for so many people that it meant so much to me that I was like, oh God, I want everyone to know, like, I still, now I do believe in it. Like I believe in it more than I, you know, did before. And I'm so open now. And like, that is the message that I did lose faith in men. And then I realized, no, it's not all men. There are amazing men out there. And that's, and like, don't ever, ever settle. Like, do not lower your standards. Just none of us can do that because people will meet you where you are. And if they're low, that's where someone's going to meet you. So the message there is to always hold out you know, for real, true love. Yeah. You didn't want to disappoint people who, who were watching and said, oh, I, <laughs> this looks so great in the moment. And now it's, now it's not. Yeah. Or I could have put a joke at the end, but I thought that would just kind of undermine, you know, the message. 
And it's okay. I mean, relationships don't work out. That's okay. Like that's not a failure. It's a success. It's a success that I was able to be in a relationship. You know what I mean? Like that was successful for me. I think one of the things, if you, you know, end up doing a a talk show uh, that you, that you might have to talk about um, are all of these different uh, outbursts from different people, including uh, Kanye West. Um, And I know you've spoken out a little bit on social media about uh, against his anti-Semitism. And I'm curious to talk to you, you know, as a as a Jewish comedian about what it's been like to see this sort of rise in in anti-Semitism as a as a Jewish celebrity, you know, in the in the public eye. Well, I mean, just as a Jew, I think, you know, is there's 15 million Jews in this world left. So like, let that soak in. I didn't know that. That's something I learned recently. And I was alarmed. And I, and I just, you know, like, it's just so pointless and hateful to perpetuate discriminatory, like that, that language. Why, why? It's so hateful and so unnecessary. And so, I mean, people's like, you know, everyone, any Jewish person has had someone die in a concentration camp. Like, what? How can you possibly deny something like that or that that happened? It's just painful, and, you know, for obvious reasons. And uh, and you know, the idea that Jews run Hollywood. It's like, yeah, well, guess what? Jews were ousted out of every business, and they weren't allowed to do anything because they were discriminated against. So they figured out what to do, and they so they run Hollywood. And guess what? French people run bakeries, and you know what? <laughs> the Swedish people run IKEA. So just get over yourself, everybody. Like, who gives a shit? That's a skill set that they have. So that, that, you know, like it's it's working out for Kanye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not maybe not anymore, but not uh, anymore. That's his own fault. But it was. Yeah, yeah. I was curious to know what you thought. Did you see uh, Dave Chappelle's SNL monologue about this? Because I, I I feel like there's a lot of Jewish comedians who've been kind of hesitant to speak out against. Yeah, I mean, what I didn't said. love it. No, I don't love that. I don't think it's. I, again, it's unnecessary. What is the point of that? Why? Why is that necessary? There's nothing more to talk about or more interesting to talk about in a more clever way. I mean, it hurt, it's really hurtful. And Dave is someone who I, you know, respect a lot and is a friend of mine. So yeah, it's, it's hurtful. So what I want to do now is a, uh, a segment that we, that we weren't doing when you were on the podcast the last time, but uh, I thought it'd be fun to do with you now. And it's called The First Laugh. So we're going to go through some, some firsts in your life or in comedy um, and starting all the way back to the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard as a kid. When you, when you think all the way back, what, what, what do you think really made you laugh? Oh, well, unfortunately, his name was Bill Cosby. <laughs> I guess his name still is Bill Cosby. Yeah. I loved Bill Cosby when I was growing up. I just, I just, I mean, I don't know if it was the laughter, it was the comfort of that house and that his father, that her, his, that he was so seemingly together and that they were organized and they had such a beautiful family. And I just thought, I want to be part of that family, you know? And so I don't know if it was like the most riotous, but I mean, Bill Cosby is, was pretty fucking funny. So yeah, I'm sure it was a combo platter of the two. Is it the kind of thing where you could watch it and still think it was funny, do you think? No, no, no. I can't think he's funny now. But you know what really made me laugh growing up? Like Airplane, that movie is will always make me laugh. Fletch is one of my favorite movies and also Porky's and Porky's Revenge I have to throw in there because those guys basically filmed that whole movie high or drunk or just <laughs> laughing at each other, making up lines. And all I wanted to do was be with them. It was so much fun to watch Porky's. 
I couldn't get enough of it. And I love that movie. And every time I watch it, you can see them. You know, it's like watching the, them break during the Carol Burnett show or SNL when you see people just laughing through their jobs. I fucking love that. I love it when people just can't keep it together. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, do you remember the first time that you knew you were funny, that you could make other people laugh? Um, yeah, pretty early. I mean, I was pretty precocious when I was a little kid. Like I didn't understand right away. I knew my family was a bit off and that I was going to have to take control of the situation. So, uh, I guess, you know, I got attention for being precocious and that probably turned into being funny, you know, like I was like, Oh, what else can I do here? Uh, but yeah, my, my brothers and sisters, my brothers very specifically had a lot of fun with me and I could get them going and um, and I liked that feeling. I liked making them laugh. What about your very first time performing stand-up comedy? Where were you? Uh, how did it go? You know, what what do you remember about that that very first time? Uh, the Laugh Factory. Uh, I did like one of the three minute. You wait online all night long, uh, or in line, I should say. It was probably before online, and you uh, wait. You and and you get up and you do three minutes in front of Jamie Masada, and then he tells you that you should have a bird on your shoulder or some something. <laughs> I think he said I should I should perform with a parakeet to offset my looks. I was like, <laughs> okay, well, that's not happening, and you're an idiot. So, but um, that was my first time, and uh, yeah, I had a lot of the first year of stand up. I had a lot of good experiences. I didn't start bombing until I got into it because I think if I had early on, I probably would have been like, mm -mm. yeah, that's what, that's what most comedians say is that those first, that first time or those first few times go better than, uh, than the, than the next few times so that it keeps you going. Cause you know what it's like to succeed. Um, do you remember the, the first joke that you told, um, that really worked that, that you felt like you could keep going back to something that audiences were really connecting with and, and just something that you, that you wrote that you felt good about? I think I was writing about waiting tables because that's what I was doing at the time and somebody asking about specials and me just being horrified. Like I had no patience as a waitress. And so I would be like, specials, there are no specials. The special is my face in your, or your, my face in your ass. No, my ass in your face. I had some <laughs> stupid line that always worked. And so then I just jumped off on all those waitressing bits, you know, about how annoying and gross people are. So that gave me a lot of mileage. And then my boyfriend at the time, I had this older boyfriend, I was like 22 and he cheated on me, broke up with me. And well, he broke up with me and then hooked up with this girl. And I, I went over there that night and I found them in bed and blah, blah, blah. And that gave me a ton of material. And so that was great. And I was like, Oh God, this breakup is like the best thing that ever happened in my career. So, you know, you can always find the good and the bad and the bad moments always become funny moments. That's always something to remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a, a worst bombing story that you think of when, oh, when yeah. someone asks you? Yeah, Montreal comedy festival. I was in new faces or I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be the hot thing at the comedy festival. It was like 20, Seven, 26, I don't know. I, and I bombed, bombed in front of all of the industry that was there. And everyone was talking about how, like, I was the girl to see, right? And I was going to get oh, all these so development yeah, deals. Everyone and was I, there ready to, ready to yeah, laugh. And I was going to get, there's going to be a bidding war. And, and then, and I bombed. And Zach Galifianakis walked me back to my hotel room and said, you're going to want some time by yourself now. <laughs> and I sat in my room and I cried like a baby. And then on Monday, two of the networks that weren't there, NBC and somewhere else, came to see me perform at Luna Park, and or Tuesday, 
This was, my show was on a Friday and on Tuesday, I had like the worst weekend I had had professionally. I thought it was over. And then on Tuesday, I performed and I got my very first development deal. They paid me $100,000 for NBC and I got a development deal. And in 24 hours, my entire misery changed back into good fortune. And I'd like to tell that story to anybody who, you know, because it's such a great reminder that everything is so instantaneous and anything can change in a di- on a dime. Anything can happen, you know, at any time. And don't like, just know that, you know, nothing is permanent. Did you did you feel like you did anything different in that second show, or was it just that the audience was different? Oh yeah, I guess all the pressure was off, and I, I was just more relaxed. You know, I was just probably too nervous, and I just you know buckled. But yeah, I just did my thing, and I, I was able to do my thing, which was why people thought you know I was supposed to be the it girl in the first place. I was able to get back there, and NBC didn't care that everybody else said no because they saw it, and I was like, okay, great. So that was a great you know that was a great moment. Uh, do you remember the first time that you met one of your comedy heroes and what it was like to to meet them for the first time? Well, but unfortunately, Bill Cosby, this is another Bill Cosby <laughs> story because I was performing at the Borgata Casino in Atlantic City. He was also performing there. And he summoned me through the management to his room asking if I would come up to say hello to him in his hotel room. And I luckily had four guys with me. Chris Frangiola was one of them. This guy, Johnny Kansas, who used to work for me. They were all worked on Chelsea lately. One was opening for me. And then we had four guys and they came up to the room with me and Bill Cosby was pissed. He was like, what the, what are you? And then he was giving my, my opener a, sh- a shit cause he was opening for a woman and, and he was being such an asshole. And I was like, God, this guy's an asshole. But the, re- the reason why I was being such an asshole is cause he was planning on roofing me. And then he lost his, he lost his, uh, you know, opportunity. Cause I was surrounded by men who were protecting me. That's pretty crazy. I mean, yeah. Have you thought a lot about what what would have happened if that had gone differently or if you'd gone oh, up please. by yourself? Do you know how many drugs I've done? That roofie wouldn't have made a dent in me. <laughs> you think you would have been okay? I would hope so. I would hope so. I've been through a lot and I've remained alive and safe. So yes. Yeah. But it made you think differently about Bill Cosby even yeah, then. Yeah, no, probably. I didn't like him after that. And then of course, you know, I don't like him now. And it's, yeah, it's it's so unfortunate that that any man would ever behave in such a way. Yeah. Did you ever get to meet any comedy heroes who turned out to be great? Yeah. Larry David's awesome. He's awesome. He's funny and just cool and funny. And well, you know, in, what, in what circumstance did you meet him? I've met him a couple times. Uh, I just saw him the other night at Amy Schumer's dinner party. She had a dinner party in LA after she filmed her special. He was there with his new wife. He's funny there. I yelled at him a little there. That was funny. Um, yeah, he's fun. I like him. He's got a great vibe. He's, se- he's sexy. Like, yeah, because he's so smart, you know, that he's sexy, even though he's ridiculous. <laughs> um, finally, uh, I like to ask uh, comedians if there's a story or memory from your career that really makes you laugh now, but really was not funny when it happened. God, I mean, yeah, tons. Let's see. What wasn't funny when it happened? Oh, my boyfriend, when I was dating the president of E in the network and I broke up with him, like, <laughs> I don't remember. We dated for, I, I think we dated for four years. This is while you were doing the show? Yeah. Yeah. For the second year of the show to like the sixth year of the show, maybe it was three years. I don't remember. I'm really bad with senses of time. Anyway, when I broke up with him, I, it was a shit show because he was my boss and you know, that was a hot mess, uh, but I couldn't be remain in this relationship. I just could not take another fucking minute. And, um, and we had exhausted all avenues of staying together. 
So that was a really a, a big disaster. And I went into work the next day and I told half of the crew, I was like, you guys have to go get my treadmill and stuff off. I had already gotten a new apartment. I was like, you guys have to go get all my stuff out of the, his apartment. And he was there. And they were like, this we can, we're not going to your place to get your stuff with our boss. He's fucking our boss too. Like you're putting us in a really bad situation. <laughs> I was like, guys, fuck that. Like I need my treadmill and I need my shit and you need to go do it. Like just go deal with him. Don't worry about the fact I'm your boss. He's not your boss. <laughs> and, uh, and I just remember that, that the stories in the office about how clueless I was to put everyone in that situation and how scared everyone was of him. And, you know, like thinking he was going <laughs> to, so that situation, but you know what? Everything turned out fine there too. So look at everything works out. Yeah. Everything works out. Um, and yeah, he uh, just emailed me the other day, congratulating me on my special. So that's there nice. you go. <laughs> well, I would like to congratulate you on your special as well. And I really can't wait to see what you do on the daily show, uh, coming up. Um, I'll be really excited to see that. And, um, look out for me going off on Elon Musk. That's on tap. Oh yeah. Do you yeah, have anything, re- anything you want to preview now? No, about, uh, how no, you're you got to tune in for that. Cause I'm ready to go. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot to say there. There's so a lot there. So sick of that guy. Yeah. Um, all right, Chelsea. Uh, enjoy the enjoy the skiing and okay. um, and uh, hope to talk to you again sometime. This was awesome. Fun. Nice talking to you. Thanks again to Chelsea Handler for coming back on the show. You can stream her latest stand-up special, Revolution, on Netflix right now, and check out her weekly advice podcast, Dear Chelsea, wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.